It's great to see you tonight. Thank you for being here. We are so grateful for the opportunity to come back to worship God. We appreciate so much those of you who are visiting tonight. We encourage you to come back if you have the opportunity. We'd love to have you as a part of our church family here if you're looking for a church home. Thank you for such a good service up to this point in time. We appreciate the singing, the prayer, the reading, and now we're going to be looking at 3 John. Our study in key chapters is coming to a close. Matter of fact, we're on the final stretch, so to speak. Last week, Jared discussed 2 John, and there are a lot of rich truths contained in that very short epistle. 3 John, similar in that it is just as rich as the second epistle. And so tonight we're going to be looking at 3 John. And in our study tonight, I want to talk for a minute or two about three very distinct disciples spoken of by John. These three individuals were distinctively different. And so we might ask the question, what was it that set them apart. And so with that in mind, we're going to look at 3 John tonight. We're going to begin by, first of all, talking about the disciples who were praiseworthy. First, the disciples who were praiseworthy. There were two men, two disciples, that John identifies here as worthy of praise. The first, a man by the name of Gaius. And so look with me in 3 John, beginning... In verse 1, John here, in writing to Gaius, first and foremost talks about his riches in Christ, the elder, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray, some translations say, beloved, I wish that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. As you and I think about Gaius, this disciple to whom John is writing, to understand first and foremost, this man was rich, not necessarily in terms of his material goods, nor necessarily with regard to his physical health. Some have questioned his material state as well as his physical condition. But what John does speak of his rich faith in the Lord. In Luke chapter 16, verse 11, Jesus makes a statement in this verse that I think is worthy of consideration in light of what we're talking about. We talk about people who are rich in their faith, rich in their relationship to the Lord. In Luke 16, verse 11, Jesus talks about the true riches. You know, there are a lot of people in our world today, they will tell you right up front, their life is all about the acquisition of things, material goods. Some are on a quest for power, and the more the better. Others are interested in building their financial portfolio. And listen, nothing wrong with financial success, nor is there anything wrong with welding power in the world. But to understand there are things that are more important than the material and physical side of life. I was watching a football game just the other day. I noticed during the football game that on the field, man's name was etched 
in the ground. If I were to call this man's name, many of you would know this individual. He was a man that had made literally billions of dollars. He had an incredible financial portfolio. He lived the life of a king in many respects, a life of luxury, a man of great power, tremendous possessions. He had everything that you could want this side of eternity. Spiritually speaking, to my knowledge, this man was not a Christian. He's now in eternity. And so my question, what about all those things? How much are they worth today? You know, Jesus asked in the long ago, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So when you read about Gaius here, only two verses with regard to his riches. But here was a man that was endowed with true riches. If you are in Christ... Let me just say this, it really doesn't matter where you live, what kind of clothing you wear, whether it's name brand or off brand, doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, now all those things may be well and good, but ultimately if you're in Christ, you are incredibly wealthy. Remember what Jesus said in Luke, or rather in Matthew chapter 6? Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, because the treasures of this life are passing away. Jesus said they can be stolen. They can rust. They can be eaten by moths. But the true riches that we're talking about in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. If you haven't marked this verse in your Bible, I would encourage you to do it. Paul there said that every spiritual blessing known to man resides in one place. That's in Christ Jesus. And if you read the book of Ephesians, six chapters, some 35 times in those six chapters, the Apostle Paul uses that phrase, in Christ, or its equivalent. So what do you infer from that? What I would take away from that is, to be in Christ is to be in a very special relationship. It is to be rich indeed. Rich why? Because I have pardon from sin. Because I enjoy peace with God. Because I have the privilege of praying to a God in heaven. I have the assurance of His presence day in and day out in my life. These are just some of the blessings and benefits that go along with being a child of God. And then what about the hope of heaven? The promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus. You know, you can lose your financial portfolio. There are a lot of people that have been rich, they've been wealthy in this world, and they have lost everything. By the same token, you can be rich in Christ and you can throw it all away. You can lose your riches in Christ. And so the exhortation is to be faithful in Christ Jesus. So number one, I think about his riches in Christ, and then secondly, his reputation in Christ. What about his reputation? Look if you would at the continuation here. John said, I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear 
that my children walk in truth. Now you remember in 1 John chapter 1, in verse 7, John talked about walking in the light. To walk in the light is the equivalent of walking in the truth. Can we know the truth? Can we practice the truth? Well, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free in John 8, 32. And John said that if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, is constantly cleansing us from all sin. And so we enjoy the blessings and the favors of Almighty God in Christ, don't we? Here was a man that was walking in the precepts of Almighty God. When we talk about the reputation of people, did you know that, whether you realize it or not, you are developing a reputation? You have a reputation. When your name is spoken, when people see you visibly, there are certain things that automatically come to mind, don't they? Now, note if you would, not only was John a man who walked by faith, but he was a man who had a working faith. Look at verse 5. In verses 5 down through verse 8, John talks about how this brother had been supportive of those who were engaged in, miss, in missionary endeavors. That he had supported them in whatever way he could. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. That is, not only did he try to be supportive of those who were known by him and known to him in Christ, but he was willing to support those that were in Christ that he didn't know physically in the flesh. He said, they borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, He said, you do well. Because they went forth for His name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. You know, here's a principle. When we preach and teach the gospel of Christ, those who support the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Christ, it's not the world, but rather it's the church. You know, one of the things that we never ask people in the world for is financial contributions. Why is that? Because it's the responsibility of the church to take the gospel into all the world. And so our goal is to reach the lost with the gospel. And furthermore, there are a lot of folks that when you listen to their message, you understand that the motive behind their preaching and teaching in many respects is financial gain. Well, you rule that out when the church is supportive of the work. And so in verse 8 he said, We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. So here was a man that in many respects had a glowing reputation. You remember when Jared talked last week about 2 John and how if we endorse those who propagate error, he said, we bid them Godspeed then we're in error in doing so. Well, just as, we could, just as we could support those who propagate error, we can be supportive of those who propagate truth, who stand 
for divine truth. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul in writing to the saints there talked about how he said, we are God's fellow workers. In other words, we're all in this together, aren't we? It is a mutual cause. The cause of Christ stands on the shoulders of every single member of the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. We enjoy joint fellowship or cooperation one with another, don't we? There are times when we assist those who are individuals working for the cause of Christ in distant lands. There are times when we are supportive of congregational efforts. All of this is biblical and right. And so I think about, number one, Gaius. But then, note if you would in the second place, there's a man that John identifies as Demetrius. Drop down if you would and look at verse 12. He said, Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. So number one, as John writes to Gaius and as he makes mention of this disciple named Demetrius, he said, first and foremost, he has a good testimony from the saints. In other words, he has a glowing reputation among members of the body of Christ. I said a minute ago that we are developing a reputation. We have a reputation, don't we? Yesterday, when the graveside service was concluded for Judah Scott, had a few minutes, and so not too far from where her burial plot was in North Memphis, two very close friends of mine are buried. So I took the time to walk over and just stand by their grave for a minute. The brother who passed away, a close friend of mine who died in 2007, he was 89 years of age. I conducted his funeral and then in 2015 I conducted his wife's funeral. She was 95 years of age. And as I look back and think about those funeral services, in a very feeble attempt to provide somewhat of a narrative of their life, I tried to talk about what they meant to the cause of Christ, to their family, and what they meant to me. As I stood at that grave, I thought about how much I love that couple and what I would give to have the opportunity to just talk to them right now. You know, really, in retrospect, when it comes to memorial services and funerals, the narrative has already been written, hasn't it? The other day, Nancy and I were talking, and not to be negative or gloom and doom, but we were talking about the fact that at some point in time, we're going to leave this world. And I said, you know, personally, I really don't need a memorial service. And she said, well, you know, the service isn't for you, it's for 
the people. It's for closure. I understand that. But you know, when it's all said and done, I've lived. And my life is an open book in many respects, as is yours. I don't have to have somebody to stand up and talk about me. Remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church at Corinth? And he said, you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. In one sense of the word, you're writing a biography, an autobiography, if you please. And how you live day by day says something about who you are, whose you are, and what you are. So when it's all said and done, you know, you are either thought of as a faithful child of God or you're not. But when it's all said and done, the way you live, that's the testimony, isn't it? Now, there's a second thought here. Number one, the testimony of the saints they knew about Demetrius and they knew about his life and how he had lived and how he had conducted himself, just as people know about how we live and how we conduct ourselves. They know our claims with regard to our relationship to God. But then there is the testimony of the Scriptures. Saints and the world can be wrong when it comes to how they perceive our life, right? You know, they may get it right, maybe they don't. But when it comes to Scripture, God's Word is never wrong. So when we open this book and look at this book in light of how we live, therein lies the testimony of the Word of God. So I want you to think about your life right now. And your life is laid bare in light of God's Word. Matter of fact, you remember in the book of Hebrews, the writer said, Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open before the eyes of, with, the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And really, the idea is that God has the ability to see everything. God knows who we are. He knows what we're all about. So when we shine the light of God's Word on our life, what's the record say? This morning in our study, I think I mentioned the fact that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer said that God's Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And you remember he said... It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God has the ability to provide a critical analysis, if you please, of how we're living. God's Word, God's Word is inerrant. And so, listen again to what John said. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. 
Well, John knew something about Demetrius. He knew about his life and how he conducted his life on a daily basis. But I think it's noteworthy that he said he has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. So when you begin to sift through the Scriptures in light of how you live day to day, your thinking, your actions, your speech, is it in harmony with the will of God? You remember what James said in James chapter 2, verse 12? So speak, so do, as those who will be judged by what? By the law of liberty. And so truth has something to say about our lives. Now, let's move from that and look secondly at the disciple who wanted preeminence. Back up now and look at verse 9. In verse 9, John's now going to turn attention to a disciple who was markedly different in regard to his spiritual status. Gaius, a glowing report. Demetrius, the same. But listen to what is said about this fellow by the name of Diotrephes. In verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. So number one, let's talk about his desire. This fellow, whether he was an elder in the church, a preacher, or just a regular member, I'm not sure, the, I'm not sure of what position he held in the church, but I know this. This guy wanted to be considered preeminent among everyone else. And the idea is he had a fondness for being thought of as first. That was his desire, to be preeminent among all. Now, if you go back and look at the disciples, you remember, for example, back in the book of Mark in chapter 9, Mark records an account of Jesus asking the disciples on the road on one occasion what they had been talking about. And what they had been discussing was who would be considered greatest in the kingdom of God. So to understand that sometimes there is this sense of rivalry or a desire to be thought of as someone special in the kingdom of God. And sadly, sometimes politics makes its way into the church. And there are some who are interested in climbing the corporate ladder of the church. They want to be somebody. They want to be in charge. They want to be thought of as first and foremost. Well, that was diatrophies. In Luke chapter 22, it was said of the apostles that there was rivalry among them as to who would be considered the greatest. And so, Jesus had to do a lot of teaching with regard to what it meant to be a servant in the kingdom of God. And really what Jesus said was, true greatness in the kingdom of God is to be a servant. And Jesus used Himself as a great example. So with that in mind, look again at what is said in the record. But Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence, among them does not receive us. 
rather than being receptive of brethren, he was far from that. And so John said, therefore, if I come, I'll call to mind his deeds. How'd you like to have an apostle? Tell you, you know what, if I make my way into town, I'm coming to see you first and foremost. Remember Paul when he said to the church at Corinth, shall I come to you with a rod? So he said, I'll come. He said, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. The word prating here carries with it the idea of babbling. The footnote in the New King James Version is talking nonsense. It is to make accusations, false accusations, idle accusations. That's exactly what this brother was doing. Well, again, Woods described him as a servant of Satan, an angel of the devil. Pretty strong terminology. This guy was not a picture of a faithful child of God. John marked him. And so John said, and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren, forbids those who wish to, putting them out, putting them out of the church. Here was a guy that was literally throwing people out of the church. He didn't have that, didn't have that kind of authority. And so the Apostle John is calling his hand and marking him. So look now at verse 11. We talk about his desire, his deeds. But look at verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Now note the contrast. On the one hand, you have Gaius and Demetrius, followers of that which is good. Flip side is, you have a fellow by the name of Diotrephes who was a bad guy. Wasn't living according to the ideals of New Testament Christianity. Sometimes we don't measure up to the divine standard. There are times when we need to step back, take stock, take inventory, and make the necessary changes. And so John said, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good, he said, is of God. So when we engage in good works, when our lives are habitually lived as individuals who are walking in the light, it says something about whose we are, doesn't it? So he says, he who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. God's Word, the intent of God's Word is to make its way into our lives. It's to be interwoven into how we live, isn't it? A passage that you're very familiar with Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In other words, you allow the word of God to find a home in your heart, in your mind. And you allow that word to rule how you live. Now, we talk about Jesus being Lord. And the idea is He is the one who reigns and rules in our lives. Well, how does He do that? Through His Word. So when we live in compliance with the will of God, the verdict is 
that we're of God. So Diotrephes, far from what he should have been. And really you have in some sense of the word a microcosm of certain disciples in the Lord's church then and even now. Some folks sadly are not what they claim to be. Some, every bit of what they claim to be. Tonight I want to encourage you Spend some time in 3 John. Go back and read 2 John, 3 John, 1 John. A lot of blessings in those three books. You know, God's Word is intended to bless our lives, isn't it? And We can learn from the Word of God. Our lives can be bettered by taking to heart what the apostles have to say. It might be that you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Our goal is to always point people in the direction of Christ. Jesus said many years ago, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, He said, I'll give you rest. The Lord can give you rest from a life of sin. The burden of sin. It's a taskmaster. If you're here tonight, and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, and you would be willing to repent of all of your sins, confess His name before others, be buried with Him in baptism, you can leave here tonight a member of the Church of Christ. You can leave here a saint, sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart from the world under the service of God. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, your life is not what it ought to be. Could we encourage you to make necessary changes in your life so that one day when you stand before God, He will own you and crown you as His. If we could pray with you and for you tonight, we'd be happy to do so as we stand and sing.